This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome to Sibling Library, the podcast where we read, share, and repeat. And we're sisters! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) My name is Julia. I'm Megan. And I'm Katie. I was very yeah, that was very good, you guys. Usually there's like a pregnant pause that I have to clip out. I'm not gonna have to do that on that one. Good work. All right. Well, let's just get right into it. Let's get some spooky stuff going on in this episode. You ready? Ready. Awesome. So today we are going to have a little roundup. We're gonna talk about our favorite literary witches, though we all had to we all had to think a little bit harder because we were not allowed to pick anybody from Harry Potter. That was the rule. The one Cause, rule. Because pretty much we all would have picked Hermione at that point. Mm-hmm. Hermione oh. and McGonagall, yeah. Mm-hmm. You even have a cat named after Professor McGonagall these days, Megan. She adopted us. Very nice. And then we have a very special interview for the month of October friend of the show, Jeff Bam, is here to talk about his book, The Unauthorized Story of Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion, which is perfect for this season. And then we are going to end the episode with our bookends and talk about either books that we have read in the last month or are planning to read this month, like me. All right, so without further ado, let's get into our roundup and our literary (laughs) witches. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Today we're going to start. Taking us off guard today. (laughs) Somebody put a quarter in Julia, and I love it. You know what it is? I feel so much more human recording on a day that I haven't worked all day and worked until 8 p.m., which I think the last couple times we've recorded have not been the case. So, hi, world, it's me. I don't know how that feels. (laughs) I know, Katie, I'm sorry you worked. But you're just, you you are able to turn it on. You're just kind of a unicorn like that. I I need time. Julia needs time (laughs) to be ready for the jelly. Yes. Yes. All right. With that tangent closed, Megan, give us your witches. Witch okay. or witches, however many you want to talk about. I have two. I'm going to start with the scary one. The witch of my nightmares as a child growing up was the, I have to remember how she's referred to, but it's The Big Witch in The Witches by Roald Dahl, mm-hmm. um, which probably seems like an obvious choice after our last episode. Uh, the Grand High Witch is how they referred to her in uh, The Witches. Um, but I just remember being so terrified of her because she would literally zap someone for no for no good reason. For a reason, but not a good one. Um, and <laughs> An just leave a pile reason. of ashes. Yeah, Oof. but she, she was pretty... Uh, at pretty bad A star star. I don't, do we curse on this on this podcast? Dollar sign, dollar sign. Yeah, she was pretty ba. Um, so she that she was epic as a child growing up. Um, and I always remember just the way Roald Dahl 
uh, wrote how you could tell if someone was a witch and that witches didn't have toes. So they would always wear pointy shoes. Yeah, pointy. They would wear pointy shoes to throw you off the track because pointy shoes would be more uncomfortable for someone who doesn't have toes, right? So less. I feel like it would be more uncomfortable for someone with toes. It squishes them together. Gives you more room in the shoe if you don't have toes. But imagine if you have... Well, imagine if you have like three or four inches of just shoe hanging off the end. I guess. I don't know. That's how I remember it. Julia Tybreaker? I think we're overthinking this. Probably. I have to admit, I've never read The Witches. You seem so ashamed. <laughs> it's Alas, one. Of, I, I haven't it. read that one. I've seen the movie, but I haven't read it. I apologize. Just leave. I know. I get need out. to get out. <laughs> leave. I'm ashamed. Anyway, the Grand High Witch, if you're looking for a scary witch who won't really scare you, but is scary for a children's book, the Grand High Witch from The Witches. And then the good witch that I would kind of most want to hang out with, I guess, would be from The Unicorn Chronicles by um, Bruce Coville. Can't remember if she's in every single book or if she doesn't make her first appearance until the second one. I want to say it's not until the second one, The Song of the Wanderer, that she makes her first appearance. But um, I believe it's pronounced Magama. That's how I always pronounced it in my head, but she was a geomancer, so she was kind of more of a holistic good witch, so she found her power from the earth. Um, so she's kind of kind of a hippie witch. Uh, so if I were to, to actually come into contact with a witch from a book that I've read, I, I would want to hang out with her because she would take all my energy and align it. That's it. Nice. Katie? Ah, well, it's interesting that you put yours together that way because I have similar categories. Um, I'll lump two of mine kind of together in the way that you did kind of the scary, uh, epic type of witch that you you typically think of when you think of witches is on the on the dark side of the spectrum is the the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz and the White Witch from Chronicles of Narnia. Um, both of these were stories that I really loved growing up um, both the the written form and and the movies I watched all of them multiple times um, and really enjoyed reading Chronicles of Narnia as well actually later in life I read that one but we, we grew up watching the the BBC mini series of the Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe and it's so great because it's so campy and she's such a ham and she's just like overly dramatic and it's amazing. So I, those two stood out to me as um, really great examples of the uh, kind of the evil version of the witches. Um, and then on the other side of that, I, I guess I could have said Glinda from The Wizard of Oz, but I'm actually um, going to bring up a different example from the trilogy, His Dark Materials. All of the witches in that story are just a really interesting take on what a witch is. Um, it kind of expands the the definition of, of what it could be. And they're, they're more, um, in the story, in the, the His Dark Material story, they're more on the side of, um, of goodness uh, in that they are helping to support the protagonist in, in the story. Um, but you could, just in kind of 
understanding their characters. They're immortal. Um, and they, they kind of support whatever they think is going to benefit the, the greater good overall. So throughout history, I guess they could be seen as both good or evil, depending on how they, they were experienced. But in this, in this version of the story, they are on the good side. Um, and just one of the coolest names I've ever read, Serafina Pekala is the name of the witch that um, is my favorite from those stories. Beautiful. Julia. Yeah. So the witches that I chose are, I, I didn't really put them in any category kind of like you guys. I was just looking for witches not in Harry Potter, basically. Um, <laughs> but I have a couple, I guess technically it is four, but it's only from two stories. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is the Bell Dam, a.k.a. the other mother from Coraline, oh, who yeah. is, if you want to categorize her, she is rather scary. Terrifying. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so she is very scary. I don't even know what I want to say about her because I don't want to spoil the story if you've never read it, but. Basically, I she, didn't actually realize she was a witch. I don't think I've never read it though, so maybe it's. I don't more... know. I don't know. Well, it's she's definitely definitely a magical being. Yeah, she has yeah. powers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that qualifies. So maybe not technically a witch, but I you would don't definitely have to put a label on it. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. Um, even though you kind of just called me out, Katie, but <laughs> I'm still holding firm. I, um, yeah, the Beldam from Coraline is also pretty B.A., as Megan would say. <laughs> and I also want to mention the Weird Sisters from Macbeth. Do you know these, these sisters, sisters? I, I am <laughs> I do not, not the biggest Shakespeare aficionado, um, but I... Yeah, I I know who you're talking about. I know of whom you refer. Well, basically, if you have ever heard Double, Double, Toil and Trouble, Fireburn and Cauldron, Bubble, that is the Weird Sisters from Macbeth. Did you know that, Katie? I did not know that that's where that originated from. Does it kind of make you want to read Macbeth now? No. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I... I I'm not a huge Shakespeare aficionado either. So um, isn't that, I'm trying to think, I think I've seen the, um, one of the movies. Isn't that the one that Kenneth Branagh does? Doesn't matter. But it's, it's cool. It's a cool piece of information to have. And yes. that's a really, really good example that you brought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to pay homage to it because one of our collective favorite Halloween movies <laughs> <laughs> is named from this poem from Macbeth. So Mary Kate and Ashley. Woo! Mm -hmm. double, um, double toil and trouble. And <laughs> yes. And um basically if you are a child of the nineties, you might know this movie and I'm happy to report it holds up today. So Yeah. It's if you great. can stream it, watch um, it. Where did we <laughs> we watched it a couple years ago on on was Hulu, it on Hulu? I think. I think we watched I, it on Hulu. It may still be there. It also may not. 
But if you can find it, watch it. You won't yes. be disappointed. No, um, it's great. It is. Katie, you kind of want to watch it now, huh? Yes. That I will <laughs> buy. <you. laughs> really? <laughs> uh, not by myself. I'd no. have to watch it with you guys. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we had a good collection of witches. Nice work, guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Let's move along into our interview with Jeff Bam. And let's mention that last episode, Megan was afraid this interview would be too scary for her. And it proved I to was. be that way because she didn't show up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just she, for personal reasons, uh, Megan couldn't make it to the interview. So just to, to orient our listeners a little bit to the interview interview you're about to hear Our guest is, uh, again, Julia mentioned his name, Jeff Bam. Um, I'm going to read off the the back of his book. We're actually interviewing him because of the um, the unauthorized story of Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion is a book that he authored. Um, And he's he's very humble. um, So we want to let you know all of his accomplishments. Um, He's been a Haunted Mansion fan as far back as he can remember, at least back through 1973, which is his earliest memory of breaking his treasured story and song from the Haunted Mansion record album and crying inconsolably until his mother relented and bought the first of numerous replacements that would follow through his childhood years. More recently, he's known for founding and operating DoomBuggies.com, a Haunted Mansion fan website that has become a focal point for Mansion fandom to congregate and share stories, learn facts, and enjoy a common bond. DoomBuggies.com has contributed to numerous Disney Parks Haunted Mansion events and was an invaluable resource to to Walt Disney Pictures during the production of The Haunted Mansion starring Eddie Murphy. Bam also served a full term on the Disneyland Creative Advisory Council. Even more recently, Bam contributed to the Walt Disney Records Haunted Mansion 40th Anniversary CD and box set and founded the Mousedalgia Podcast, a weekly show dedicated to the exploration of Disney in today's society, emphasizing theme park culture and exploring the past, present, and future endeavors of the people who have imagined Walt's happy place into existence. Listen to the show at www.mousedalgia.com. Julia is actually... Um, involved with the the podcast as well Um, and she and him do a uh, Julian and Jeff also do a doom buggies podcast separate from that which I think we mentioned in the interview as well pretty awesome Um, and one last little bit in 2013 Bam started the doom buggy spook show a podcast about the history of the haunted mansion and other spooktacular similarities that might appeal to fans of the attraction Find the show by visiting www.doombuggies.com. So that gives you a little bit on him. Um, And to purchase his book, the best way to go about it is buying it off of Amazon. That's how I got it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, And enjoy the interview. There's a lot of really fun information in there. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We are very excited. I know we have mentioned your name on the show before. I don't know if you listened, but, well, you listened to it when you did it. But we want to formally thank you for putting together our special dramatic reading of um, Soup from a Sausage Skewer. <laughs> that was <laughs> fun. Above yeah. and beyond. Oh, that was cool. It was fun. <laughs> so we had a good time that. with it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and we wanted to bring you on to our October episode because you are Mr. October. You are the chef. You are the Doom Buggies proprietor. And you're all things Haunted Mansion and spooky. And you have written a book. So it's all perfect for this month. <laughs> yes, I uh I try to be all things spooky. I do love Halloween. I mean, I, I know you're a Halloween fan. Katie, are you a Halloween fan also? Is that running the family? I would say yes, but maybe not on the same level as yeah. as Julia and and yourself. And okay. Megan, uh, Megan had to hop off of the recording um, due to some other things going on. But she's also a, a big Halloween fan. She's more a, a fall fan and Halloween because it's almost Christmas mm-hmm. as opposed to like the scary stuff. She's not too big on the scary stuff got it yeah yeah well jeff jeff we are a little bit different in that you have halloween all year long in your yeah. office and yeah. around you i have very specifically chosen just to decorate for halloween in october yeah i noticed that well you have a, a pretty strong collection for someone that only puts the stuff out at halloween time yeah mm-hmm. i I do collect a lot of Halloween stuff, but but you're right. I I keep it up all the time. Yes. Inspiration. It's yes. you know, it's it is my what, ha- happy place. Yeah. So speaking of inspiration, have you always been interested in writing? In writing. In writing. Hmm. Well, no, but I would say um it's you know. I've always been interested in kind of sharing like information, right? That's why I did Doom Buggies. That's why I started Doom Buggies, right? So um, I just kind of felt like I I could picture, a, you know, I can picture ways that I believe are good ways to kind of put data together or ideas together. Um, and writing, of course, fits into that a lot. So I've done a lot of writing. Um, and I also have worked at a newspaper my entire professional career. So for 30 years, I've been working with editors and writers. And um, so I kind of sometimes I just have to be a writer. I mean, because the the company I work for is a small publishing house. I'm I'm an art director, but I also have to be the headline editor um, slash art director. Right. So we don't have an editor in chief who writes the headlines. I write a lot of the headlines. So the writers will write their headlines, but then if it doesn't fit with the layout, then I have to, you know, updated things. So I, I've kind of been surrounded by writing my whole life. Um, it's not something foreign to me and I, I enjoy it. I've written articles for the newspaper before, you know, done freelance reporting and things. And it's, um, I wouldn't say I feel called to be a writer necessarily, but I, I, I feel like I'm competent to write it enough to express some ideas or some concepts or, you know, you know like, like for the Haunted Mansion book. Um, I feel like my writing style works okay for presenting information and data. I wouldn't try to write a novel or fiction. That's a whole different, you know, can of worms that I have no <laughs> no interest nor, you know, ability to handle, right? But as far as packaging up data and using the right words, I think I'm okay with that, yeah. That's awesome. I think you're more than okay because you do have – a book that is available on Amazon called The Unauthorized Story of the Haunted Mansion. Can you give us a little bit of the history behind how you got from starting doombuggies.com to writing your first iteration of the book to then getting to being actually published? Yeah. So that was an interesting story. And it kind of 
marches along with the history of the internet, kind of. So um, I started Doom Muggies in 1997. I started building it in the mid 90s. I think 1996, I finally started thinking, you know what, I I got to learn this whole homepage thing because there was GeoCities and you could make your free website and everyone was jumping on there and making their, you know, tributes to their favorite band and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I, I'm a graphic designer by trade. That's why I'm an art director for newspaper. And I never learned, you know, graduated in like, I think 1992. The, I think Photoshop was launched around 1986. So it was still kind of a baby app. All the professional implementation wasn't there yet for that software. So, but it was starting, right? And so I didn't really need to learn any kind of digital anything to get my degree. But I realized within a year of graduating that a good designer needed to have all that information in their toolbox, you know, how to create websites and design for interfaces and things. So um, I just thought, what am I going to do to start a website? And I was a big fan of the Haunted Mansion, had a lot of data, kind of like I was saying before, I have always liked packaging up ideas and thoughts and finding my own way to present it. And so I did that. I made um, this free website. I think it was my AOL homepage website. And I put some Haunted Mansion stuff up there. It kind of had a head. I, I mean, I kind of knew being a designer that my little homepage would look a little steps higher than most people's. You know, I'm not trying to be. I just kind of knew I knew how to, to do that and make it look. You had this, the skill set. Yeah. 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 So um, that actually happened. Right. So I talked about it a little bit on at the time, social media was Usenet groups. So net net, you would join these bulletin board type things on the Internet and talk back and forth or message back and forth. And that's how people did social media. And I kind of dropped a kind of few ideas that I was putting together this web page and it kind of took off and that that was that right and so um within I would say four years I was doing like convention presentations and things like that about the Haunted Mansion not very many but once in a while I'd get a speaking engagement and I thought you know I should have something I can sell like a chat book or something or a souvenir something or other so I put together oh oh and then concurrently a couple magazines had reached out to me for articles about the Haunted Mansion, right? So I'd written a couple articles for magazines. I had all this collection of stuff and I thought I'm just gonna put, put together like a little paperback book that I can sell at conventions. So I did that. I used one of my magazine articles and amplified a little bit, put some pictures in there, kind of made this book that I could sell. And that was really the first version of the book I'm selling now. It was only probably 5,000 words versus the 50,000 words that this book is, right? But it was kind of the kind of the genesis, right? And so, yeah, I did that. I, I think I think it's been seven or eight years now when I finally decided, you know, I kind of want to write a book. So fast forward 10, 15 years through the internet, right? And publishing companies started using the internet to promote themselves. Digital print-on-demand books became a possible thing that wasn't possible in 1992, but it is now, right? And so there's, and then a lot of boutique publishers, boutique publishers, sprung up out of the internet. So um, there are a couple publishers like that that publish Disney books, and um, I knew I probably had a good shot at getting a publishing deal with one of them if I had reached out and said, "Hey, I have all this information. I could write a really good book. I think so. You know, are you interested?" So I sent a couple, I think I wrote my first chapter, sent it off to, I think just this one publisher called Theme Park Press. You can tell by the title of the publisher what they probably feature, you know, focus on. And um, he said, yeah, absolutely. Like I, he was interested in that. And so I said, okay, um, 
let me think about this for a minute because I, you know, like I said, I had a 5,000 word kernel of a story. It was basically the common history of the Haunted Mansion that most Haunted Mansion fans are well aware of. Um, and, you know, I wasn't really sure where to to go with that. It also had a lot of pictures that I knew I couldn't put into a, an actual published book because I don't have the right to do that. You know, I stuck them in my little convention souvenir book, but I wasn't going to publish a book with those things. So um, actually what turned everything around is, uh, meanwhile, I had met a Disney um, Imagineer legend named Rolly Crump, and I met him through a mutual friend. And um, I reached out to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm writing this book about the Haunted Mansion. I'd love to talk to you. And um, he said, yeah, come on over. Right. So I spent a good I don't know how many hours, but, you know, an afternoon with Rolly Crump just sitting there talking about what he remembered about, like, working with Walt Disney on the Haunted Mansion. So that turned into kind of the the little um, focus point of the narr narrative I was going to rewrite. So I used, you know, the history I'd kind of put together. I kind of rewrote it around Rolly Crump's point of view and because I had his words, you know, that I could use in my book. And that really is where the the book as it exists sprung from um that conversation with Rolly. so within i don't know six months i had probably about twenty thousand words um for the history of the haunted mansion maybe 25 and um you know i had i just had pulled on all the articles and magazines and all kinds of different bits of information um that i could kind of tie together and find I try to kind of chase little rabbit trails um, because there's a lot of those in Disney history and you can follow them almost infinitely right so I kind of tried to put in some details that were less commonly known about some of the um, foundational things that the Imagineers thought about when they were creating a Haunted Mansion and um, yeah ended up with somewhere between 20 and 30,000 words a little too short for a book right but I, I wanted to print this book so then I thought well what if I split this and I first tell the history but then I talk about so this is what happened so here's the history and then here's like let's take a tour through the haunted mansion and let's see how the history played into current time so then I wrote the second half of the book and just kind of went step by step through the whole attraction and I tied in a little bit of the history again you know I would refer back to the historical part of the book but I also would talk a little bit more about the technical information about well this is how they did it right and that ended up being the book, um, basically two sections, um, kind of a history and then an experience of the ride. And um, yeah, I finally was at about 50,000 words. That was my target. Like, this is just long enough to be, I think, you know, a, a decent paperback book. Sent it to the publisher. He thought it was great. Um, and yeah, and here we are. That's all I, sorry, I just wanted to say I... I actually read your book over the last couple of days, Jeff, and I really do I really do like the way that you laid it out. It makes so much sense um, to go through kind of the the uh, evolution of how it came to be and then a description of what it's like to actually go through it present day. And I don't typically read, you know, I, I consider this a nonfiction book. I don't typically read nonfiction books cover to cover without being being able to put them down but i really i just i couldn't stop reading it it was great wow wow Thank and you. the other thing i will say that your your book made me do that i've never done with another book is i was every time there was a footnote i went back and looked to see where you got your information because it was really interesting to see you know where where you pulled um different 
different facts and, and different uh, stories from. And it's it's a really wide array of, of different sources. It was really yeah. interesting. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and that kind of goes to my so so I, I appreciate that. And I like a good book with a good, um, you know, like either an index or, or bibliography or some type of, you know, endnotes. I like that, too. And I do have to say, um, if I was writing another book, it would be much more difficult for me to do than The Haunted Mansion because I had done the 20 years of research already. Right. So it's easy, you know, to go to my giant file cabinets full of garbage mm-hmm. and sort through and say like, oh, because to be to be honest and kind of open about it, I there were some things I had to figure out and research. But most of it was I knew the facts. I just had to find the most interesting source because there were multiple sources that I could have drawn from. So kind of to what you're saying, I did want this wide array of things. And um, a lot of the information in that book has been. Um, kind of stated and restated and written and rewritten many times. So getting the most authoritative source was a little tricky, right? So, and sometimes there isn't really one. There's just, Walt Disney said something and then six or seven newspapers printed it along with a magazine. And like, you know, they're all telling you the same story, right? So um, I appreciate you saying that. And I did, you know, intentionally want it to, I guess, feel like, hey, you can rely on this information because it comes from a lot of places. It's not just this one guy with his one idea, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I appreciate that. And it, and, and it was easy because, I mean, easy just because I was set up to write this book. I have all this years of knowing all this stuff. If So to fast forward a little bit, the same publisher said, hey, can you do this for the pirates? And I said, sure, give it a shot. And I dived in for a little bit. And then I thought, hold on, <laughs> I don't, I don't have 20 years of information about the Pirates of the Caribbean to draw on. Now, I could probably do a fair job at it because a lot of the information that I referred to kind of covers both of those topics. So I could use some of the same similar sources with different information. Right. So I'm sure I could come up with something, but it was it did even to myself make it apparent how lucky I was. Well, I don't know if lucky is the word because it's it's just been a kind of a lifetime passion, you know, to find all this mm-hmm. stuff. But I did have that stuff all at my fingertips and I don't mm-hmm. have that I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, oh, if we could only open the Disney archives for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. And even the Disney archives, like, you know, so you can walk in there. You have to know what you're looking for. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're, it's just going to be a bunch. And they'll sit there and say, like, what do you want us to look for? Kind of Haley Mills tells the story because she did that for her book. She said, um. Mm-hmm okay what do i what do i look for you know and so it was fortunate that she realized like i should really look and see what did walt disney say to my parents that i don't know yet that was smart of her because if she just looked for information about summer magic or whatever Mm -hmm. she would have found a bunch of the stories everyone already knows maybe some original source like material but not original facts right and so we all would have known those stories maybe she could tell it with a different quote but she was really smart and she said like I just want to know what Walt and my parents talked about, right? And that became the seed of her book. Um, so, and you're referring to her newest one. What was the yeah, title her, of it? Forever Young. Forever, Forever Young. Young. So, um, just to say, like, yeah, you can get access to these things, but you have to kind of know what you want to find before you can really utilize that. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people have that problem with the Walt Disney archives. You know, they go in there and they're like, everything is here, and what do I even, you know, what how, am I? How is information overload? Yeah. 
yeah, how is it cataloged? And not even how is it cataloged. Like, they catalog it well, but you really know what you want to know. Like, if you don't know, you need to know it. How do you find it? Yeah, that's really interesting. And a lot of your footnotes actually um, referenced direct conversations that you had with the source, whether it be through your conversation with Raleigh Raleigh Crump. Um, There were a few that were letters that had been written to you. Um, podcast interviews that you conducted. So the the source material is is literally directly from the horse's mouth in a lot of cases, yeah. which is really exciting. Um, and not only that, a, you've go ahead. I was just gonna say you, have, you do have a lot of great primary resources, which make a big difference when you're writing nonfiction. I think. Yeah, that's it's a very fortunate you know Disney history in particular. Like a lot of these great books were written in the 70s and 80s, especially the 80s. The Disney store opened and all these publishers started printing these big, giant books of Disney history and stuff and beautiful art books and lots of interviews with animators. And John Canemaker was out there just publishing all these huge coffee table books. And he'd just sit down with these animators and talk to them for hours and write this stuff. Right. And so the theme parks didn't really have that. Um, At that time, Disney was still treating the theme parks as just kind of. Walt Disney's thing done by Mm -hmm. the Imagineers like he didn't really tell you who the Imagineers were they didn't get a lot of credit as different individual artists that's really a recent thing and and it's kind of I was fortunate like we're right at the very tip edge of all the Walt Disney's Imagineers being gone right there's Bob Gers out there Rolly Crump's out there still talking to people Um, but as far as Walt's contemporaries like those are you know there's a few other people that worked with him at the studio and, you know, actors and actresses that remember working with Walt, but pretty much his contemporaries for the theme park have passed away. Right. So, yeah, I'm I'm fortunate that Nostalgia, my podcast, um, began just in time to talk to a few of these people before they passed away and we could get some some. And again, even that stuff, you know, when you talk to these people at the end of their careers and, you know, after they've been retired a while, they've kind of settled on their stories, right? And <laughs> a lot of them are, you know, similar to things you've heard before. That's why I was really glad to talk to Rolly for a while. Um, and I'm not going to say he remembered anything that he hadn't told anyone before, but at least we could really, you know, cover all the, if, at least from my opinion, all the little angles that I really wanted someone to tell me authoritatively, yeah, Walt Disney said that, or yeah, I was there when we were making this plan. Um, because... You know, you hear some of these stories so many times, it's you, you have to figure out how am I going to express this in a new and interesting way? And um, it was tricky, you know, but um, yeah, it always helps when you have a primary source. At least you, you get your own quote, right? And you, mm-hmm. your own, your own opinion, your own perspective of the person saying it to you, right? So you mm-hmm. can kind of make your own determination as to are they telling me the truth? Are they telling me like a myth that they've perpetuated for years you know what i mean that they don't and you can look at someone and you can kind of feel like well this is what i think they mean um, and you can't do that when you read it from someone else's interview right so this is something that i know about you from working with you on other projects or just listening to mousedalder your podcast you are really good at sussing out what is the truth well i think yeah, I mean, and and again, that's part of that's what is um, the fact. Part of that's also um, having just a lot of experience listening to all these stories, right? Once you mm-hmm. once you've heard enough of them, you can start to kind of feel, you know, this story goes over a lot of people's, you know, there's a lot of threads that lead to the same place, so that's probably true. 
sometimes someone that's iconoclastic will put things in a interesting way. Like Rolling Crump's very iconoclastic, right? So he has a lot of stories that don't necessarily mesh really well with other Imagineer stories. But once you know his history and you recognize, well, he was the outcast. Like he was this young kid. The other guys were in their 50s. You know, he was in his 20s. And Walt was listening to him. And Walt was like, yeah, I like these weird little things Rolly's doing. And he's he's there like, you know, making all these marijuana posters. I presume he had a, like a little silk tent in his wet Imagineering. Like he set up all these silks. You know, he was very in the 60s. And he, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some interesting aromas coming out of his area. You know, so and the other Imagineers the were process. like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the other Imagineers were like, why? Why does Walt want to keep listening to this kid? And they were kind of, you know, pissy with him a little bit. So, you know, I, I kind of, so even though his stories are different, I feel like there's a, there's a whole, there's some weight to his, his overall story of who he was and his relationship with Walt Disney, that whether or not the actual little facts he remembers are exactly correct, like the place he was in and the atmosphere he describes is feels accurate to me so um that's why i was happy to really rely on rolly for a lot of the kind of the gist of the book um because i thought he had a pretty authentic perspective on what was going on really it seemed like he appreciated the project too his forward to you is just is lovely at the beginning of the book <laughs> yeah it was sweet he's like i didn't even know some of this stuff you know yeah. <laughs> and, and you know i mean he was it's fair to say he was being a nice guy but i could tell you know these imagineers that work on their stuff they don't necessarily care to have the big history laid out in front of them. Like they all know I'm doing my thing. He knew he didn't get along with a lot of the people. And, you know, um, he is, his main concern was like, well, what am I going to do here? I want to work. I want freedom to be my artistic self, but I'm getting shot down and kind of pigeonholed by all these other Imagineers and Walt Disney died now. And so how are we going to, you know, now what am I going to do? Cause he was his champion. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I just it, the whole process and the whole book and re- deciding, you know, what sources to rely on and who to listen to it all. I got fortunate. It just kind of fell together in, a, in an easy way for me to kind of turn into a, a narrative story. And that's that's what I did. Well, you didn't just write it and then publish it and then put it down. You've what updates or um, what additions are you on? How many how many editions are there? Yeah, so that's it's weird now, right? Because since you don't so this is a print on demand book. This publisher prints on demand through Amazon's service, right? So he is willing to kind of update the books just whenever, which mm-hmm. makes it a little bit weird for like deciding what's an edition. Like what mm-hmm. is an edition? I would say there's been three editions, but only really two that I would consider you know, oh, this is significant, right? And for the Haunted Mansion's 50th anniversary, I added a lot of research that I'd done over the past five years since I wrote the book. Um, and so it was, you know, we maybe added eight or 10,000 words. I don't know what the total word count is now. It's, you know, it got significantly larger from the from the first book. So we called that the 50th anniversary edition or the, the I, I don't know if he would call it the third edition because we did put some significant editions in about four, three or four years ago. And redo the redo the cover added those additions and then put that out there so there have been three really um distinct updates to the book um 
I, w- I would say there's only been two editions, and I don't know that the publisher even differentiates. I, well, in fact, I think he does, because sometimes two different books come up on Amazon. So I think there's a first and a second. Um, but yeah, a, two or three, <laughs> if you if you know what I mean. Like, I, it is interesting how print-on-demand makes that such a nebulous thing, you know, mm-hmm. editions of books. Because all you have to do literally to Amazon is just upload the new interior file and suddenly your book is selling in a different format right and um like he i know he does that all the time like the end pages the ads in the back of my book changed regularly you know he would whenever he would put out a new book he would update the interior file with those new ads in the back of the book so those aren't really new editions of the book but they're different you you know Mm -hmm. so you you talked earlier about you know wanting to really kind of enrich the story of the haunted mansion to make it something that's different from other things that are out there by including some, some of the lesser known facts. And I had, that was one of the the most interesting parts for me is, you know, I, I learned a lot about the attraction that I didn't already know. And some things that had me going, huh, that's really cool. Um, one of the ones that came up for me was, and you're, I know you're a, a musical person um, so this was probably interesting to you as well. But when they were, I think it was, um, I forget who said it, but it was um, talking about the theme music throughout the attraction, how they wanted to make it sound very otherworldly. So they had the musicians play the melody in reverse and then they record the melody in reverse and then they play the track backwards so that it sounds just a little bit off. Um what are some of the other things that for you, like in, in some of your research that you're just, you, you think of, you know, kind of like your, your um, party conversations when you're like, Hey, did you know this? Because, yeah. you know, most people don't know it and it's just a really cool fact. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good question. You know, um, it's interesting over the past 20 years since I've been doing do muggies to see how many like facts about the haunted mansion have come from fans and not from Disney. Um, Sometimes Disney is a little loath to admit it, but there's things they just didn't know or forgot, you know, or that kind of thing. And um, so, you know, the music you're talking about. So Jimmy McDonald is kind of Disney's guy, the sound guy, music guy. He wrote lots of music. He recorded stuff. He came up with instrumentation. I think that it was all his idea. Like, how are we going to make this sound weird? You know, and recording some things in reverse, some things they just had people blowing through bottles to make like wind sounds, like all kinds of weird ideas he had to get this really interesting sounds. That is a great little thing. Um, One thing that's really fascinating that happened through people, not Disney, is um, discovering that the look of the Haunted Mansion really was just a copy of a house. Like they didn't, you know, Disney spends a lot of time um, kind of discussing their own mystique i guess you could say a lot of times in a lot of their art books like oh here's all the concept art we did and we've came up with this great house and there's a lot of great concept art of the haunted mansion right um but it turns out that was all based on a real house like it just really looks like a real house and disney when you look back um there was an imagineer that used to talk about the haunted mansion a lot when he was alive he passed away in the i think early 90s but he used to say yeah there's a house in baltimore that we based it on you know he didn't say it was a direct replica but he pretty much told the story but no one really i mean there were so many concept work pieces out there that we just presumed he meant like oh yeah they're looking at some you know old batch and then they so they came up with this amazing thing well he meant like there literally is a house in baltimore that they directly copied and it took the internet sluice to kind of figure out 
oh, this is the, like, we found the book in the Imagineering library, but it didn't, you know, and then we kind of put together, oh, that picture is exactly the same as some concept art. Like, they, they drew it, perspective and everything exactly the same, right? So that was kind of interesting in a weird way because it, the interesting part of it is how um, Disney didn't really want that to be a fact about the haunted mansion oh we copied some house like they never want that to be what you think mm-hmm. you know they, they want you to think our imagineers are amazing and dream up all these great <laughs> things right so it was interesting to see their reaction to that like they couldn't deny it it was very obvious and so finally the the official disney haunted mansion book that's been out there for about i don't know 17 years now jason sorrell wrote he finally um, updated it with this with a picture of this house in it because how could he not? Because he had a whole section of a chapter on how they came up with this amazing, you know, concept art. Well, you kind of have to say where that came from if it's a known fact, right? So that was interesting. You know, that's those those kind of things. Um, just they just come up because people care so much about the the history of these things. You know, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I'll say one thing that I this is my direct kind of my direct research and I it's not it's just a how do I say this so there's no way to know what Walt Disney was thinking when he came up with the idea let's make a haunted mansion right I think mostly he was thinking well carnivals and circuses and amusement parks have haunted houses so let's just make one that's way better than anyone else's I I think mostly that's what he was thinking but in the 50s he did talk about it sometimes and he very specifically said on an interview in England he said yeah we're we're actually making this because in England, all your property was damaged in World War II. Like the ghosts don't have anywhere to go. So mm-hmm. we're inviting them over to America and they're going to just all kind of the haunted mansion and, and stay in our place. Right. So he said this in an interview. Um, so what's really just kind of it's this is. So I've shown this article I found to a few Imagineers. Some of them think, oh, that's kind of interesting. One of them is convinced without a doubt that Walt Disney actually read this. So in Kansas City in 19, I want to say 19. 20-ish around there. Walt Disney would have been working in Kansas City, a young guy, maybe in his teens or around the age of 20. And he was working, and he worked for the Kansas City newspaper as a kid. He was working in media and advertising. He would have been well aware of the Kansas City Times newspaper, right? And so there's an article about how all the property in England and Europe, all the big fancy mansions were being destroyed to make room for apartments and things like the new version of housing and what were all the ghosts going to do like it was a literal news article saying where are the ghosts going to go that have been you know left all these properties that have been torn down in england and europe and it ends up by saying that well they should all go to america because there's plenty of places for them to haunt over there so you know it's just kind of an amazing historical rhyme right with what Mm -hmm. walt disney said like I don't know, 30, almost 30 years later. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, yeah, he remembered that from 30 years ago. But but he was a storyteller like that. He, he may have read that and it might have stuck with him. Like, yeah, we're going to like take all the ghosts that don't have a place to live and bring them to Disneyland. I just, you know, I found that just randomly researching something else, you know, but, but the fact that it was in Kansas City, it was around the time Walt Disney, that few couple years where he was working hard in the media business. Like, it's just to me. Even if it's even if he never read it and it's just a kind of a rhyme as to what happened, it's just really kind of a fascinating little adjunct to the story, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I like that story. That's something that you know I kind of stumbled across and I put it in the latest version of the book. That was one of the things that made it into the the most recent version of the book. It wasn't in the original version. 
I just found that a few years ago. And so I don't know. I, I'm rambling. Yeah. No, I'm so I'm so glad I have that version because I loved that part of it too, and it really contributed to kind of building the mystique and the marketing around the attraction and the years that they were developing it, right? Because didn't didn't he put out um, kind of a, a call for applications for ghosts like, <laughs> during the time? Yeah, they did lots of that kind of stuff with the marketing, right? It's all, it's all about so they you know the, they started building this haunted mansion it stumbled it kind of went and stopped and went and stopped i ken anderson started it i think you know they tried to tie it in with the pirates and have it part of the whole pirates area and i don't know if walt really thought eh, you know this really should be its own thing and i don't know if he thought ken anderson was thinking it's grand i think walt was thinking like no no no, no. this has to be like a magic show like this big crazy thing and ken anderson was still making another snow white's scary adventures over there in the pirates area and walt just you know he tried some stuff it really wasn't what he was looking for so they just put the pin in that and then then you know uh, rolly crump and yale gracie came along started to try to come up with some of this magic that walt wanted like no i want stuff to happen you know like so they took a different turn like instead of working on the story he just said like just come up with some stuff like what are we going to do like show me ghosts so Yale Gracie is kind of his ghost guy. So he he took Rolly Crump, remember, just a kid and uh, well, 20 something year old. And he, you know, was showing him the ropes Rolly pretty much admits to that. Like he's I was just making boxes for for Gail. He was doing all this amazing stuff and just kind of showing me like how to be an Imagineer. And um, I think that kind of is what kicked off the, the grander, bigger Haunted Mansion um, and then, of course, the World's Fair was in there. Walt suddenly had this idea like, no, we got to we got to do this. Everyone's got to stop and work on the World's Fair because we can leverage, you know, our position here. If we put a lot of attractions over on the East Coast in New York and people like them, then the idea of Disney, you know, experiences is suddenly countrywide, you know, and I think he thought there's a lot of reasons we got to do this. So everyone stop what you're doing and let's focus on the World's Fair. That happened. Meanwhile, they built the Haunted Mansion, and it's sitting there at Disneyland. Like, the building that they copied from Baltimore is sitting there. <laughs> and people are like, is this going to open? You know, because at first they said <laughs> it'll open in a couple of years. You know, I think some of the first published Disneyland materials said 1959, maybe, or, you know, the early early 60s. They finally built it in 1962, and they kept saying in a couple of years, you know, nothing happened. People started to say, like... Well, they can't open it because someone died in there, and it's really haunted. <laughs> yeah, you know, all these all these stories started going around, and so, um, you know, they they didn't really know what to to do with that, right? So, yeah, I, what was your? I don't even remember what your original question was. But <laughs> it was um, just you're 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 sharing all of it. It's just interesting interesting facts that most people yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the. The nuts and bolts of the story are it just had a really interesting, you know, and then Walt Disney died. Like, that's kind of the little twist in the story. Like, all of this was Walt saying, like, oh, I don't know. Well, maybe. I don't know. Well, no. Let's keep trying. Let's keep trying. And then he died. Right. And so then everyone was like, OK, we have all these ideas, just vast numbers of ideas. Mark Davis had been working on all kinds of ideas. And it's just, oh, Walt's gone. No one is here to say, okay, yes or no. What do we do? And it took him a while to work through that, to figure that out. And that's where these stories come. Where they were fighting about, should it be scary? Should it be funny? It was a big battle. I mean, there was some disagreement there. Yeah, but I don't I don't think the battle was, like, what do we do in the Haunted Mansion? I think the battle was, like, how do we be Imagineers, like, without mm -hmm. Walt Disney? You know, and, and they all had their own ideas. And 
that was the trouble that people were having. Like, what, who who gets to say? Like, you know, and they did finally work that out, but um, it was a thing, you know, for yeah. for quite a while. So I'd say they're doing okay. <laughs> I, could, I could see that throwing him for a loop for some time. I mean, he was the the master of the ship, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this has been fantastic, Jeff. Do you have any books on the horizon? I know you mentioned <laughs> pirates, possibly, maybe. Who knows? Well, well let if me you say, have time, maybe. Oh yeah, I don't. Honestly, I'm not sure. But have you ever talked about your book? project on your show your own show no. julia does your do your She's listeners know very, she they don't so i'm gonna just kind of okay. break some i'll just break <laughs> this news so maybe we have to do it once we say it right <laughs> so julia actually you and your friend tina have done a lot of writing over the past couple of years a, a, an inordinate amount of writing um mm-hmm. you had this podcast kind of related to my show right nostalgia minute and we the three of us mostly you two but i threw in a couple you know, did stories. a lot we, more than we, a couple. Well, okay, a few, but we we <laughs> kind of tried to do our again. We tried to look for sources that were unique and original, mostly looking into the media, like what were people mm-hmm. saying in the news media, like as these things were happening. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to get um, a picture of Disney history as it was happening in the in the news media, right? And so right. we did our own reporting. Um, we wrote enough to have plenty of material for a book, so. If if there's a next book project I'm involved with, I think you're going to be involved with it too. To be quite honest, what? <laughs> yes. so I'm hoping that we can actually get to that because there's all this writing sitting there waiting to be published, right? So mm-hmm. we need to do something about that. But it'll be a history, a Disney history book, um, mm-hmm. and we'll just have to decide how to package it, right? Yep. So, so that that's, that's where you come in. And that book, that book's <laughs> exciting. That book's already written. We just need to. Pretty much. Uh, we just have to figure out how to actually make it a cohesive narrative. Yeah, format it and edit way. it and kind yeah. of get the get the the story right. Right. Yep. So there has to be something that ties it all together. So. Yep. But uh, that'll be the next thing. The pirates thing, like I said, I don't know that I want to tackle that. It's just it's a story that's huge and needs to be told. Chris Merritt and Pete Doctor, the director of um, Up, they just wrote a book last two years ago, I guess, about um, Disney Imagineer Mark Davis. And that book has extensive material about both the Pirates attraction and Haunted Mansion and some unpublished things. It's based on the the concept art, right? So mm-hmm. it does have a focus. But as, har- as far as histories go, it's also pretty extensive um, history or retelling of the making of the, the Pirates story and attractions so i'm not sure you know i mean if i were to write another disney history book it would probably be about pirates but i don't know that i ever like i said at the very beginning here i'm not sure that a writer is what i would you know i I wrote a book because i had the research ready to go and because i can i can string words together but i i don't I don't know. Own that it, I, Jeff. I don't Own know it. that I You're feel, a writer. I don't Own know it. that I I don't well, Own but it. a writer a writer should feel led to write though, right? And what I'm saying is I don't you have know written that I, your book. I don't know that I feel that way. Yeah. I kind of said what I had to get out. And so we'll see. Um I do feel like this thing that we wrote, this all these pages and words we wrote about Disney history over the past few years, there's a place for that on someone's bookshelf. So we gotta work Rob, on that. Katie's Definitely for mine. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, So if people go and search either your name, Jeff Bam, B-A-H-A-M, on Amazon, or the title of your book, The Unauthorized Story of Walt Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion, they will find the newest edition, whatever Mm -hmm. iteration it is at, the the most current one is on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I hope you get a nice book bump. (laughs) <laughs> well, I do too. Well, thank you. <laughs> and you can also listen to both Jeff and Julia on the Doom Buggies podcast. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Sporadically. My, my esteemed co-host. Well, hopefully once a month-ish. Yeah. You've been busy. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. This has been a pleasure. Maybe we will have you on again when the next book is published. <laughs> okay. Awesome. We'll do that. <laughs> Well, that was a fun interview. Thanks again to Jeff for um, saving some time for us to talk through Haunted Mansion and Doom Buggies and all the things in between. And thank you, Katie, for your insightful and delightful questions. My pleasure. Uh, But now I think it's time for us to wrap up this show and we are going to get into bookends and we'll go in the same order as the roundup. So Megan, take it away. Um, So before I mention what I've been reading lately, I just want to shout out what we're going to do next month really fast. Um, Next month is November, which includes Thanksgiving. So we thought it would be a good time to read and spotlight some literature written by um, indigenous people. Um, So one of so the book that I'm going to be reading, I'm not going to talk about it too much right now, but the the book that I'm going to be talking about is... um, How I Became a Ghost by Tim Tingle. Um, So I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on it right now, but if anybody out there feels like checking it out before next month, um, that is something that I spent some time this month reading. It's pretty short. It's a quick read. I would recommend it. Um, And then the other two books that I'm currently working through are, the first one is Famous Last Words by Katie Allender, and it's a fun uh, murder mystery, YA murder mystery. So I'm not afraid of uh, having nightmares. Um, hopefully, anyway, the lovely bones did give me nightmares. So I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be reading this, but I thought October would be a good month for for a murder mystery. I'm not too far into it, but I am enjoying it so far. And then the other book I'm listening to on the Libby app is the Thirteenth Tale by Dan Diane Setterfield which I'm mostly enjoying so far. It is pretty dark, and it's dark in a way I wasn't anticipating reading the um, summary for it. It sounded like it was going to be more, uh, it mentioned like ghosts and that type of thing, um, which I, like reading the summary, I thought was going to be like supernatural ghosts, but it turns out to be more of ghosts of people's very dark and twisty pasts. and more realistic than, you know, a, a Casper floating around. So um, it is dark in a way that I wasn't expecting it to be. So it's not my favorite so far, but I'm almost done with it. So I'm committed to finishing it now. Okay. Very good. I have not read a whole lot beyond Jeff's book um, since the last time that we talked. I read that and it actually was interesting for our uh, our book club 
a comic book club coming up. And Julia, sorry if you're going to mention these books as well. I read it in conjunction with the books that we were scheduled to read for that, which coincidentally happened to be uh, Disney Kingdom's The Haunted Mansion and The Seekers of the Weird. So it was really interesting to to kind of see those concepts fictionalized and put into a story that I had just read a bunch about the nonfiction aspects of there what goes went into Natasha that. again being um where's her crystal ball can she, she like I'll just call her Madame a, Leota yeah there seriously you <laughs> um so I, I read I read those uh, and it was it was really great to read as as a supplement to to Jeff's book um and I also started listening to Forever Young at the recommendation of Julia and Jeff uh, by Haley Mills, which is a, a memoir of of her uh, growing up in the spotlight as a, a Disney starlet. And I'm really enjoying that so far. All right. Is it my turn? You're the only one left. I didn't know if you were done. I'm done. That's more of what I meant. Okay. <laughs> well, I have not been super busy reading this month either, um, but I did read um, one of the newer Sherry LaPena uh, mysteries called Not a Happy Family, and it is a murder mystery. I don't think it would give you nightmares, though, Megan. I just kind of like her books. They're all very um, twisty and not, not super obvious to guess what happened, which is what I like about them. And I wasn't going to mention it, but since you mentioned yours, Megan, I will mention the book that I'm reading for next month's show as well, but not give my thoughts on it because A, I haven't finished it yet, and B, I'm not prepared to talk about what I think of it so far. But it is called Alatso, E-L-A-T-S-O-E, and it's written by Darcy Little Badger, um, and it's a YA book as well. And also, so for the month of October, I thought it would be fun to read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving, which is a short story in a longer book called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Other Stories, or The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Gent by Washington Irving. Crayon. Sketchbook is an appropriate name. There you go. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... Again, I'm ashamed to admit I've never actually read the story, and I really enjoy The Headless Horseman. I don't think I've ever read it either. I haven't well, either. Maybe, maybe this is a zero shame zone. I know, but as a librarian, I feel like I should really have read a lot more than I actually have. There are way more books in existence than you could ever possibly read. <laughs> yeah. Be kind to yourself. So little time. And then I'm also, I haven't read it yet, but I'm very excited. I just picked it up yesterday from Zeppelin Comics. Um, it is a graphic novel biography called Lugosi, The Rise and Fall of Hollywood's Dracula by Corin Shadme. And it's a um, graphic novel biography about Bella Lugosi, who played Dracula back in, oh, the 30s. So. That is so your bag. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> Before we end, I'll just mention briefly as well, I have not started this book, but for our Indigenous Authors episode, I'll be reading Code Talkers by Joseph Brukek. 
I apologize for the pronunciation. Julia, would you mind giving a spelling on that since you have it in front of you? Sure. It is B-R-U-C-H-A-C. Thank you. Well, thanks guys for another fun episode and happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Until next month, let's keep reading, sharing, and repeating. Bye. Bye. That brings us to a close on this chapter of Sibling Library. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's read, share, and repeat.